0: Welcome to the Billings Police Department Unfiltered Podcast, Episode 7. Today we're talking recruiting and hiring. I'm Lieutenant Brandon Woolley, and my guest today is Officer Brad Menser. Brad, welcome back. Thank you. Say, Brad, uh, so we're going to talk recruiting and hiring today. Um, This is one of the things that you and I have had conversations about before. Um, And one of the reasons why I brought you on was you were a police officer in Rapid City before you got hired here. Yep. And you've, so you've been through the process, uh, but now currently you're with the downtown Billings program. You're in a specialized assignment and you also have been an FTO in the department and you are the union, uh, representative, you're the union president actually. Uh, so I think you're a good person to have this conversation with when we start talking about like the benefits to being a police officer, especially working for the Billings police department, and then kind of some advice on how we negotiate the process. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I uh it's safe to say in law enforcement, especially here in Billings, it's not hard to find yourself wearing many hats and having many responsibilities within the department, which I think is
0: one of our big positives just right out the gates. So when you um when you look at like uh knowing what you know now where you've come from, um did you did you go to college?
1: I did. So I have a 4-year degree in criminal justice uh from the University of Wyoming.
0: And like now that, so you, you went to school for a criminal justice degree, you're here, what do you think would be like your ideal characteristics of like a candidate? You know, the biggest thing
1: going in is I wish I had known any degree would have sufficed. It's the knowledge and experience of going through college, um, the military, trade school. Um, the criminal justice degree itself wasn't important. If I were going pre-law, I wanted to be a prosecutor in a city attorney's office. Yes, that would have been an important degree to have. Um, Just that life experience, any degree is acceptable. Um, That would have been a good first step. Instead of listening to college recruiters, you wanna be a cop? Tell you what, criminal justice is where you gotta go. I haven't used it much yet except for reading law when trying to apply it to cases, which isn't that often. You can pick that up anyways. So um, go for what interests you it might make you a more well-rounded officer than than not. Um, and then, and then like I said, you'll get that those several years out of high school into adulthood where you can gain some life experiences and be able to
0: apply those and have a little more maturity under your belt as well. You know, that's one of the things that when I talk to, to guys when they're calling and, and they're looking for information or what they can do to make themselves better, I'll actually recommend that you go to college and you get a degree in something else, financing, business management, um, some type of technology, like you were saying those many hats. Uh, so what happens in, you know, eight years after you start and you become a detective and you work financial crimes and you're doing frauds, uh, knowing how to work numbers and see how that stuff flows could benefit you. Plus it's an excellent backup plan. If this career doesn't work out for you.
1: Yeah. There's always reasons people have to leave the department. Uh, you make 20 years retire. You're only 45. If you went in at 25, no better time to start with your second degree or your second job on your first degree. if that's an accounting or any other applicable skill, um, you have something to move right into.
0: So what does uh, a day-to-day, what's it like to be a a day-to-day as an officer? What are your duties like? What's it like to to be a police officer here?
1: Well, there's one of three shifts that a patrol officer is on, either our day shift or noon shift or nights. Um, They kind of follow the time of day it describes. Um, Each shift kind of has a somewhat different start to their day. If you're starting day shift, you're going to come into a lot of crimes that happened overnight, but they weren't caught. Destruction of property, vandalism, theft from outbuildings, garages or cars, um, things like that kind of get discovered in the morning when people wake up and go on their way to work. So you have a lot of not in progress property crimes, or you have the trouble with people who should have gone to bed and hadn't yet, and they're causing... Disturbances, fighting—they're um, out still. DUI, so that—that's kind of what the morning shift deals with. First thing, the noon shift comes into a busy. The day's going. It's two in the afternoon. Everyone, everything's at its peak. That's that's the the peak of crime during the day is right around when noon shift comes on, um, and then night shift is kind of coming right into the bar crowd. Um, they're dealing with a lot more DUIs, fights related to intoxication, and so each shift kind of has its normal-ish crimes that they run into on a day-to-day basis. But you know, we're each assigned a car, that, that our car for four days a week. We check our car out in the morning or when our shift starts, we make sure all our gear is in order. Um, then you wait for dispatch to give you that first call. If, if your area's open, you don't have anything going on, we're looking for traffic violations or um, if you have one of the more neighborhood type areas, maybe a little summer, you're just looking for people to interact with go to the park, a bunch of people are playing. Not unusual to see an officer hop out of the car and start a conversation with some parents, watching kids at the playground, see what's going on in the neighborhood, kind of get a feel for your community, which is one of the things community policing stresses. Um, Myself, because I'm the downtown resource officer, my day involves a lot of walking around and talking, jump on a bike, Um, it's been really nice recently. And so we've we've been biking around, walking downtown, lunch rush, just, People will stop us. We're just to have conversations, um, and then we're looking for violations of law
0: as well, and the proactive side. And so we work uh, ten-hour shifts, four days a week. Um, when you're, can you explain how these shifts are bid? Like, how does it? How do you determine, or how do we determine where you go and what what shifts you're going to work?
1: Yeah. So by union contract, we are we work four ten-hour days a week. Uh, so forty hours. Anything over that's paid out at overtime. And we bid our shifts yearly in December and starts in January. We bid that by seniority. So the guy who's been here the longest has first on seniority and the newest officer is lowest on seniority. And so when we go through our bid, everybody gets a choice. We have a big open spreadsheet. These are the days and everybody gets to pick. So the first guy has pick of the shift, goes down to halfway, There's probably still a lot open that are desirable. Um, People have different motivators to go to different shifts. Um, Here in the buildings, we get, we call it pay differential or shift differential. And so if you work on the night shift, you get $2 extra an hour on top of your pay just for working at night. You get a dollar extra just for working in the noon shift. On top of that, we get 75 cents an hour extra just for working on a weekend. That's from Friday at 6 to I think eight in the morning on Monday after the weekend. Um, So there are people who wanna work weekends and wanna work nights. That's $2.75 extra than what the guy working Monday through Thursday on a day shift is making, Um, which at the end of the year, considering overtime and things that can add up to be a considerable number. Um, And so we bid and as it goes down, yes, we do have a few guys at the end of every rotation that end up getting forced to either a noon shift or a night shift. And that's where they're gonna be for the next year when new hires come in after they've gone through the academy process and the field training process they will get put on whatever shift needs them the most Um, so if we have four guys coming in we have two spots on noons and two spots on nights within those four their seniority or their hiring number they get to pick which of those four they go to so one person will probably get forced to a shift Um, and then the shifts get a rebid so if noons was short two people and two people just came on Um, everybody gets to repick their days if they decide to based off what days are open. Um, and very typically a new officer will find themselves on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shift, um, which has its benefits. You know, you want to go to the lake, you want to go hiking. I can tell you Wednesday is a pretty good day to go to the mountains. Uh, not many people, I want to go to Costco. Tuesday morning is perfect to go to Costco. You're off. No one else is off. Everyone's working. So there are benefits to working that middle of the week shift, um, and so that's,
0: that's how that kind of goes. Yeah. And daycare benefits. I know a lot of guys will work the night shift so they can sleep during the day. If their kids are home during the summertime, they can save money on daycare. So some of that shift work isn't all, all, uh, doom and gloom. You know, guys. I can think of a few guys that have worked a night shift so they can be up to take their kids to
1: school, sleep all day so they can take, pick their kids up from school. So, um, they're sleeping when no one's around and they get as much family time as possible. You go to work at 9.30 at night, you get to be there for dinner, you get to be there for breakfast and you hit all the in-betweens.
0: So there's positives, you just have to find them. Yep, absolutely. So talking uh, about pay, we're gonna go over our pay scale real quick. So an entry-level officer makes 26.86 and we have what they call 22 steps and that's based off of years of service. Um, So your entry-level wage for an officer is roughly, $55,000 55000 a year for base wage, but it ends up being just a little bit higher due to things like benefits of uh, overtime, uh, holiday pay, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and I think one of the things that we want to point out that's important too is our department does not do a training wage. So when you're a brand new officer and you get hired from the day that you go to the academy, we don't pay you a training wage of $15, $16 an hour. You get your, you get your full first year wage pay uh, for that. Um, The other benefit, if you're a lateral officer listening to this, wanting to lateral into the department, we do, um, one of the benefits for the laterals is that there is an expedited hiring process, so when we start talking about the hiring process later, you won't have to take a written test, Um, but we do uh, provide lateral officers a um, benefit for their experience. And so once you're done with your probationary period, so that first 12 months, you'll make that 2686, but you will be allowed a step increase up to uh, an additional six years of experience. So if you come to us with, you know, uh, eight years of law enforcement experience, once you finish your probationary period with us, you'll get moved to a step eight, uh, which is roughly 32, 34 an hour right now. So that's almost a $6 an hour raise in your first few months. So that's one of the benefits. If you're a lateral officer looking into this would be those lateral pays.
1: You know, and I think a big thing to remember is like, I came here at four years of experience in another state in another department comparable in size. And I had four years, our pay scale doesn't have a four year pay rate, but after my one year of probation here, I was automatically at the five year rate jumped right up to that pay rate. And so, um. It adds up pretty quick to get into that those upper pay scales, um, which doesn't affect seniority. But I mean, I'll take more pay over seniority any day, right?
0: I think most people would. Another another benefit for our laterals. So you know, when we when we look at like specialized assignments, um, you know, whether it's crash investigations, detectives division, or even promotions. Uh, per policy, uh, most of our specialized assignments you have to have three years on as an officer, and that's standard, whether you're a lateral entry or a new officer with no experience. Uh, but then when we get to the higher levels for like investigations division level stuff. The department policy is that you have to have six years of experience before you're eligible to put in for investigations. Well, if you come with prior law enforcement experience, you only need your four most recent years of experience to be with us in order to put in for detectives. So potentially you could, you could put in for the detectives division at four years versus six. And the same pattern goes with command promotions. Uh, command promotions are at eight years of experience, uh, but six of your m- most recent years have to be with the Billings Police Department. So there's a couple other benefits to, uh, that would maybe speed up some trajectory for you in your, your career pathway. Brad, can you talk about some more of the other uh, fringe benefits and other benefits that we have for officers uh, that might entice them versus other organizations or or places?
1: Yeah, a lot of the fringe benefits actually do come out of our our union contract with the city. And the nice thing about that is it cements it in place while that contract's in place. So it's not something we can just lose um, at the drop of a hat. And so we have a thing called short shift. And so like you'll see in the movies or, You know, you always hear about officers working lots of overtime, working late. Um, If you don't get a full shift of break in between the two shifts you're working, so you don't get a full 10 hours of break, we'll give you four extra hours of pay on top of the the next day you just worked. And, um, you know, we kind of recognize that we do work long hours. And so there's a benefit there. Um, We have a minimum staffing. We have a minimum of one officer per area. So you'll never have less than nine officers, which may not seem like much, but we're guaranteed that you're not gonna be working with five or six people, you're gonna at least have nine people on your shift, which some days doesn't feel like enough, but um, having that minimum in place does help us out. Um, you know, we get paid for court. If we have to get someone subpoenaed into court, the city pays four hours of overtime pay rate for that. Um, we have, we call it comp time, but a compensatory time. We have 280 hours that you can accumulate. Um, it can be used towards cashing out for pay at your pay rate or it can be used for vacation time or time off, leave with pay. And that 280 hours is earned through overtime. Um, So if you do an overtime detail or you get held over and type in reports for two hours, you can put those two hours into your comp bank. Um, We run the MPAT, so our physical fitness test is voluntary two times a year. And if you run it and you get in the 80th percentile, which is four and a half minutes, you receive 30 hours of comp time and so there are lots of ways that our comp bank adds up Uh, we have guys say the swat team they if their training day falls on their day off they get to take that day as overtime they can make that comp and so um i know that 280 hours is a lot a lot of people use that for vacation time and so we also accrue for vacation from a one to ten year officer. You accrue 120 hours of vacation a year, which is a lot. Um, and then as you go up from there, you, you know, 11 to 15 years, you accrue 144 hours and, and so on. And you can have two years of accrued vacation time. So uh, someone can be sitting with 240 hours of vacation time and 280 hours of comp time. Um, and that, that's all usable by them as calendar allows. Uh, to be taken. So I I can think of an officer a couple of years ago that took every Friday of their week off for the first five months of the year. They had it, the shift allowed for it, and they were just able to take that, have four day weekends because we work four 10 hour shifts. um, Worked out pretty nicely. And they were more senior officer, but I mean, that's one of the benefits that we can work around too.
0: And that's all separate. So you mentioned the comp time, you mentioned the vacation or the vacation, and then there's also sick accrual that is separate Mm -hmm. from that which accrues at roughly, would you say like eight hours per pay yes. period? Yes,
1: eight hours a pay period or uh, eight hours a month. So it accrues at about 3.7 hours a pay period. We have some weirdly placed pay periods. And so it turns out at the end of the year to be eight hours a pay period. And so um, comp time can also be used if your SIP bank gets used up. So you have a extended um, maternity or paternity leave and you need to dip into one of your other banks, comp time can be used first. Um, If you have 280 hours in it, that's all that time can be used for the sick or the family medical leave act, leave time.
0: Right. And then we have like, what is it? Like 10, 10 paid holidays, is that right? Yeah, we have 10 federally recognized holidays that
1: we take here. If you're working on the day of the holiday, you actually get a full day's pay plus 10 extra hours of pay for working. If you're off, you still get paid for that day and you get paid a little extra on top of it, but not the full two days' worth of pay. Um, so for those ten days, you know, New Year's, Martin Luther King Day, President's Day, and so on, we we get paid regardless of working them or not. And that's that's one of those benefits that comes into place because more often than not, we have to work on holidays. We don't get to be home with family. We don't get to go on trips to vacation on the Fourth of July or things like that. And so it's kind of the while it doesn't make up for lost family time, it does help add up.
0: And so we're, we're talking a lot of time off and I, I think any civilian who is comparing this with their job of maybe just two weeks of vacation and it doesn't, they don't have a distinguishment between sick time or I'm gonna go on vacation with family and it's usually two weeks. Um, those are pretty significant benefits not only to uh, attract and draw um, good applicants, but the other portion of it is you know just to kind of hit on it real quick when we're talking about like the realities of this job. Uh, I think Dr. Gil Martin, you know wrote the emotional police survival book and and he talks about the burnout rates um, and the time needed to decompress from the ups and downs of the jobs and the, the mental and emotional toll um, from the things that we're, we, we deal with and that compression time where it takes uh, you know, 48, 72 hours just for your body's actual uh, normal operation to normalize, especially if you're working on night shift and you're running from call to call that are all very dangerous. You have lots of adrenaline uh, dumps through an evening. It messes with your body. Um, and so that time off um, is also what helps keep guys, you know, mentally healthy and resets their bodies for the demands and of, of the job.
1: You know, and with that, I think we have six or eight. I- can't remember which one, but um, provided by health insurance or by the city, uh, free counseling sessions. They have a special name for them and the, the counselors are specialized in law enforcement related um, counseling, but we, we have that on top of all our other benefits too. So if someone's really actually feeling the effects of the burnout, um, having some problems with the job or an incident just happened, I mean, we get like eight free counseling sessions. Um, You know, with that, we'll have the guys that don't take any sick leave. They're healthy all year. They don't need any time. Maybe they don't have kids. They, you know, if you don't take any sick leave, you get 30 hours of pay. You know, if you take a day, you get two days of pay. And it kind of goes down from there hour by hour. But you get up to three days of pay for zero sick leave. And and
0: that's a benefit
1: for not calling in in sick. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, we've got guys that definitely
0: use that. So a couple other benefits that we have there. Um, So we get an equipment allowance. Most officers Mm get uh, $450 a year. If you're in the detective's division where you're required to do like a suit and tie, uh, that's $800 uh, a year. And that helps, you know, uh, keep boots and other equipment that you need for the job that are approved. Uh, And then a couple other things like uh, do you want to explain longevity pay?
1: Yes. So (laughs) (laughs) Confusing and involves math, but... After your fifteenth year, uh, or between your sixth and fifteenth year, you you get more pay based on how long you stay here, and it adds up more and more as the years go on. Um, and so it, it's just an incentive to stay. And so after your fifteenth year and your sixteenth year, you start making more on your your multiplication of years and pay. Um, very confusing. It all adds up. Uh, certification pays another big thing. So if you go to the academy, your post basic certification. And if you work for four years with your post, you have the opportunity to become an intermediate certificate holder. And I believe eight years after that, you have the ability to get your advanced certificate. And with those comes required training hours. You have to attend so many classes and trainings and refreshers um, in law enforcement relevant courses. Once you've completed all that, you get to hold those advanced and intermediate certificates. Here, we get in December, right around Christmas time, or just the beginning of December, um, if you hold intermediate, you get $1,000, basically a bonus. Uh, If you hold your advanced certificate, it's a $2,000 pay at the end of the year um, for being here for eight years or more. And having attended, I think it's 400 hours of training, um, which here in Billings, we end up getting pretty quickly. We do have the availability of lots
0: of good training, so
1: that's another big one that people don't think about till the end of the year. And then right in front of Christmas, we have a little bonus.
0: Yeah, and when you're looking at trying to stay competitive with other law enforcement agencies, uh, also like just trying to increase the level of professionalism and competency of of your department, that is one of the the strengths of this department is officers are often allowed a a lot more hours per training than other organizations uh, that are comparable to us. Um, which is important because when you put in for school, you like to get selected Now not everybody gets to go to everything that they want to. Um, but for the number of hours, um, it's pretty substantial, especially when you compare it to other other locations or what we allow for people to go for training. Mm-hmm. Um, specialty pay, what is that?
1: If you hold a specialty of any kind, so are you certified in bike patrol? Are you a field training officer, detective? You know, we have hostage negotiators, firearms instructors. Um, an instructor of any sort, if that's our crisis intervention team, if that's um, the Narcan or CPR, you know, school resource officers, anybody that has a specialty, uh, they just get $250 at the end of the year for holding that specialty. And that doesn't count all the overtime that might come with that specialty, all the days you need to be training on your days off that you're going to get paid for as well. It's just a,
0: a $250 right on top. And then we also do an education incentive pay, which is uh, $25 per paycheck for an associate's degree, 50 for a bachelor's. Uh, so there's a little bit of incentive and reward for uh, completing an education. Uh, and further on the education portion, uh, we have tuition reimbursement program. Uh, the department will puts aside $15,000 a year in the budget and they will pay for 75% of the cost of all tuitions for courses approved by the the chief uh, and and you have to have satisfactory completion i think you got to you got to get you got to pass the class and you got to do well on it you can't just take it and fail it to get the reimbursement for it um mm-hmm. And then we've talked about uh, a lot of the other incentives, but uh, can you kind of walk through the FMLA stuff, which uh, not a lot of places meet the criteria to have to do it, Um, and and the city does, but it's a good benefit for for people at times of uh, need. So, and I know I've used this as well for the
1: FMLA or Family Medical Leave Act Um, when you are having a kid, or so you have to go for a surgery, or your significant other has a surgery. um, It is up to Twelve weeks you a know, 12 month calendar rolling period you can take off um, use your sick leave use your comp time leave and then after all everything and your vacation is all used up then it can be unpaid leave um, but the city can't deny you Say you're having a baby and you need to take three months off uh, you can't be denied you will, will be given your time um, and in a lot of places it's on you your time is leave without pay from the time you go um, and so that's a pretty big fallback that I think makes having children or having to get a surgery that's mandatory uh, makes it much easier. You don't have to worry about where the money's coming from, at least for those initial few months.
0: And that's and that's one thing to kind of distinguish too is not only maternity, but there's paternity leave yep. as well. Um, and then we also recognize for the military leave if you are a guard member or you, know, you get recalled to active duty, um, we hold your spot um, until until you get back. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another another thing to help reduce the, the burden or or incentives that somebody might not want to not want to put in. Um, we do have so the city of Billings is self-insured. Uh, we offer full major medical, uh, dental, vision. Uh, they do have some life insurance. Um, that's there and they're all reasonably priced, uh, compared to what other people are paying who don't have insurance providers, the, uh, the insurance costs, um, and benefits are really good. You can go to our website and you can find out some more on the specifics of those, you know, medical benefits. Uh, that way we don't spend a lot of time on those, but let's talk a little bit about, I think probably one of the biggest, um, incentives for, for law enforcement would be their retirement plan. Mm -hmm. And can you kind of walk through, what our retirement plan is and kind of the difference between the defined benefit versus a defined contribution plan.
1: Now, I wish I was an expert in the retirement I'm I'm about 10 years away from it still from being able to draw from it or at the point where we can do what was called the drop. But um, basically what happens is while you're working, the department puts in 50% contribution, you put in 50%, so your contribution is a set percentage. And of that 100%, the department pays 50, which is, a substantial number every month, and that is pre-taxed as well as our health insurance is pre-taxed. And so um, in the end, your yearly salaries end up being bigger for your retirement than they would have been if they were post-tax
0: as it adds up.
1: And the other part of what you said, I have no idea.
0: Yeah. So so we'll talk. Uh, so the the current retirement plan that the, the BPD is involved in and all other city law enforcement it's a defined benefit program. And, and so the difference between defined benefit versus contribution is defined contribution is, is, what you put into it is, is what the calculation ends up being when you get out of it. Uh, going forward of defined benefit program, it is uh, going into it, you know, what your percentages of retirement benefits are going to be when you come out. So, for example, for us, it's at 20 years, you're eligible to retire at 50% of your highest base pay. And your base pay is calculated off of your high three average um, of, your, of your career, which is usually a guy's last three years. Mm-hmm. So for mathematical purposes, if you retire at 20 years and you're making $100,000 a year for the police department, your retirement benefit will be 50%. Now, uh, we are not a total compensation program like the sheriff's offices, and total compensation means that uh, the sheriff's department gets not only their, their 50% of their their base pay is calculated not only off their base pay, but all, all of their income, overtime, extra duty, details, everything, whereas our retirement calculations are only based off of what your hourly rate, longevity, and a couple of other factors. So the overtime that you work in your high three years is not used to calculate your, your benefit. Um, but it's, it's nice for guys knowing to kind of calculate what they might get for a benefit and the math on that works out to basically it's two and a half percent per year is what you, you, um, your benefit is. So, uh, that what you were talking about with what was taken out of your paycheck and with the city matches by by law and where the, the retirement is, it's 9% of your paycheck automatically comes out with without any of, of your say, you just you have to contribute to it. Once you hit your 20 years, every year after that, that you serve that you complete is an additional two and a half percent, meaning that if you work for 30 years, your defined benefit is now 75%. And theoretically, if you work Forty years, I believe it's it's up to hundred um, percent. Not many guys make it to the to the full forty. Um, and as of right now, the retirement system that we're involved in is solvent. It's whole. Uh, it is in the black. It does You know, there's no risk of it right now at this point um, being changed or or having some problems with it. But that's what the retirement looks like. The other benefit um, for retirement that we have is the city officers a 457B, it's a deferred compensation plan. Now, why the city doesn't uh, match to it already because the, you already contribute to your, your defined benefit program to the state, it does allow officers to be able to put into a, um, a tax-free program very similar to like an IRA or uh, you know a 401k at another place so officers are still allowed to be able to contribute up to the you know the state limits i think it's like 19,000 something this year where you can contribute up to 19,000 a year into this that's pre-tax um so it can you know reduce some of your your taxable income and it's just another way to diversify your mm. your retirement benefits and i think the last major uh, uh you know benefit towards retirement that the police department has is what they call is a drop program. And you're pretty familiar with that a little bit, are you? I wish I was more familiar, but
1: I know it takes a snapshot of what you're getting paid now. And for the next five years, it increases at a, or it adds a, yeah, I wish I knew more about it, but I'm so far away now, I haven't taken the time to look into it. Yeah. So,
0: so the, so what the, um, the drop program is, is one, it was an incentive to get guys to, to retire earlier than having them stick around for 30 or 40 years. That way you can, you can keep new guys coming into the organization, uh, as well as it's a way for them, the, the benefit to entice them to do so. And so let's say if I put 20 years on, uh, I can now technically retire from the state system and, and, and get your benefit. Uh, but what you end up doing is, is you actually exit the state retirement system that you're contributing in. And then all of your contributions, that 9% goes into like a kind of like a mutual fund or a deferred compensation program. And so uh, that's where all of those contributions go into that specifically. So what you are normally putting into the defined benefit program is now going into a deferred compensation program for a period of up to five years. Now, at the end of that five years, the officer can retire and take whatever money is in that deferred program and their 20 year retirement, or if they decide that they want to stay another five years, they'll re-enter the, pro- the state retirement program and start at year one. And then so they need to have another few more years to get vested into that. And then they accumulate back at two and a half percent per year. Mm-hmm. So those are the retirement benefits. Obviously, you know how long this podcast is up; those those could be subject to change, but those are current as of as of when we re- recorded this. So we've talked a lot about about like the benefits or what it's what what the police department offers to be competitive uh, to to attract qualified candidates for for the police department. Let's um, let's talk about um. You know some of the recruiting challenges that we kind of face because before we start talking about our actual process um, we try to gather uh, when we're looking at trying to hire candidates you know we might have to go through uh, 25 or 30 candidates to get one qualified viable candidate for a whole uh, enumerate of of reasons Uh, but but what we try to do is we try to get the biggest uh, hiring applicant pool that we can and one of the trends for the last, you know, many years now is, is our hiring pools are decreasing. Uh, when I hired in 2007, I remember that the police department had to book uh, host- or, um, hotel conference rooms. And I think I was one of maybe like 250 officers that was taking a test and, you know, fighting for a chance to interview. And this last uh, process that I opened up a few weeks ago, I got like 42 applicants. So, you know, we, we, in the recruiting realm, we struggle with uh, the, keeping the, the big pools, cause the, the bigger the pools we have, the more likely it is that the, we're going to get better quality applicants and, and more of them, which improves our, our hiring rates and successes with the, you know, diversity and everything else. But when we have these really small um, applicant pools, it makes it hard. We have to do more work to just get a couple of good applicants for the, for the process. And some of those challenges we've been seeing on, an, on, on a trend, I think uh, we as a police department here in Billings aren't, um, aren't immune to anything else that any other agency isn't seeing. Uh, there are a lot of good paying jobs out there nowadays. Um, you know, the, the tech jobs, uh, people, a lot of people have been going to college. Um, and then, you know, we have uh, just competition with other agencies. Um, Some of the things that we'll talk about here in a little bit, you know, like drug usage, you know, like everybody's, you know, a lot, I shouldn't say everybody, because that's an assumption. But, you know, a lot of people have experimented with marijuana before. Um, So we have, you know, certain disqualification criteria for drugs um, and drug usage. So that kind of limits some of our pool. Uh, And then, you know, some of the stuff that we're fighting mostly um, in this time is, is just a lack of applications, um, which affects, you know, the, the lack of diversity. Now, I will point out that the department does in the realm of minorities, uh, match or exceed what the community is. The one area where we, we don't reflect the community is in the Native American population. And we would really like to see those numbers come up to the, the community a little bit more. Um, and there's, there's, um, uh, with low applicant pools, it's just a challenge of getting anybody to to want to be a police officer these days. And some of that's public perception right now. Um, we've we've seen that with the um, with the current trends and events, with all the reform going on. I think there's a lot of people who may be looking at this job, going, "Is it worth it? Uh, do I want to be that guy that has to make those decisions and end up on YouTube or on a mainstream show?" Um, and that's what kind of that can kind of turn some people off who might be interested in this job and and to those who are afraid of um, being in that position to have to make a decision and stuff like that i'll i'll sit here and tell you that you know the law enforcement profession is still one of the noblest that you can be in Um, while everything is under a magnifying glass right now and it seems like um, that can overshadow all of the good that is being done, um, I know on a day-to-day basis and interaction that, you know, that this profession is still noble and good cause and you can make good decisions and still help people without that liability and risk that you you might fear and fall out from an incident. Mm. So uh, moving on a little bit, so we've talked about some of the challenges. Um, the other challenge that we have um, is with the police department is our hiring process. It takes roughly six months for us to get you through the hiring process. And if you're looking for a job right now, a six month waiting time at minimum uh, can turn people off. So they might just go somewhere else to try to find a job or pick a different career path. So if you're getting ready to put in with us, understand that about six months, five to six months is usually the quickest that we can get you get you brought on board. and that causes some challenges for us as well. Let's talk about uh, the whole hiring process. And let's give some advice because this is not only advice uh, that comes with the BPD, but it's all jobs. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the stuff that we're gonna we're gonna talk about next. If if you're an applicant for the BPD or want to put in for the future, if you're not listening to this portion of the podcast, you're probably doing it wrong now. (laughs) Uh, while we're not going to give you the answers, uh, we do want to walk you through the process uh, so you can uh, understand it and perform better. Uh, mainly one of the, the prime examples that I have is, is the police department hires based off of qualifications and performance. And how do we increase those numbers? So, so one of the first phases for us for the, the hiring process is our application process. We, we send out an application, we make our announcements on social media to cast the net uh, pretty far and wide. And in this application, there's a set of instructions. Uh, there's some things that you, that you have to have set by state law. So you have to be 18 years of age. You have to be a US citizen. Uh, you cannot be convic- convicted of a, uh, uh, a crime that is a felony or above uh, or even like some high misdemeanors, depending on what they are, you you can't be a police officer. Uh, You have to be a high school graduate or have your GED. Uh, this is one I've seen pop up a couple times. We get guys or, or candidates, I should say, who were homeschooled and they have a certificate of high school education completed by their mom or their dad or whoever their guardian was that homeschooled them. Uh, it's not our not our decision it is a state law it's post mandated that you have a state recognized general equivalency diploma uh, so a, a homeschool certificate is not enough to meet the minimum requirements uh, you need to go get your ged or have some kind of state recognized um, high school education uh, you have to be able to possess or be eligible for a Montana driver's license. There's uh, no convictions for PFMA, assaulting or eluding peace officers. No evidence that the applicant has misrepresented or falsified any information to the department. Uh, even from the very get-go in your application, all the way through the background stuff, this is the number one thing that we see candidates be rejected for: is is not being truthful to stuff. Um, we're gonna find it in the background investigation. We've all made mistakes. We've all done stuff. This is something that you gotta be pretty transparent with. And if you're trying to hide, uh, you know, an alcohol related incident that you did while you were in college 10 years ago, um, that doesn't bode well because we gotta put you in, stand, in a stand in front of a judge and jury. And, and quite frankly, the public demands a level of integrity and morality from an officer. And if that happens in our background phase where there's a misrepresentation of anything, that those are usually grounds for automatic disqualification. Um, and then as far as the drug usage goes, the department's current practice is there's no um, – you can't have any felony drug use uh, within five years and no marijuana use within one year. Uh, now, I understand that Montana has recently recreationalized marijuana. The, the matter still stands that it still is illegal federally, uh, and that you may be involved in investigations on a federal level involving marijuana or other drug-related crimes. Uh, so as a policy and a practice, um, it's still one year. You can't be using marijuana within one year of your um, application. And uh, even current officers aren't allowed to use either medical marijuana or recreational marijuana at all. So that'll be a condition of employment. Uh, we're subject to random random drug tests as well. So those are some uh, so those are some automatic disqualification criteria. Um, you know, go ahead, Brad. Um,
1: and I think one thing to keep in mind with you know the not even using any drugs that would be considered a felony within five years of application. If, if you're a 16 or 17 year old listening to this podcast and you wanna be a, a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, um, and this doesn't just apply to the Billings Police Department, um, if you plan to go to college, you plan to go to the military, just be aware, set boundaries. I mean, I'm not gonna say college parties don't exist. I'm not gonna come out here and say that kids who go to college don't drink, they don't, they don't experiment, they don't do things that are probably illegal and then in the college sphere, they, they end to occur, end up occurring more often than anywhere else know going in what your boundaries are know that you you can't be using drugs of any sort whether they be um, pills provided by a friend or marijuana brought over or you want to be a police officer and you need to be able to testify on the stand you need to be able to prove in a background you need to be able to say that you haven't done these things if you're going to apply at 22 five years from 22 is uh, you know 27 before you can apply for the department if you graduate and in your senior year you decide to um, go to a party where some illegal things happen, be aware going in. If you're a few years away from being able to apply what your boundaries need to be. And I think that's a good thing is most colleges take four years. Um, stay away. It's not hard to avoid if you know what you're going in for and going into
0: what you bring up as just in general, good life advice, but specifically for a police officer, because you are held to a higher standard. Uh, by your community, you're gonna be a uh, example for the community. You're also gonna hold others accountable uh, for some of their misdeeds or their actions. You're also gonna be able to help people and, and they need to know that they can, they can look to you. Um, the other part of that is is, is usually the, the right decision in those events that you're talking about, the parties or the peer pressures. Usually the right decision, you know, when you're making it is, is it's the hardest one. Uh, and, And we see that in law enforcement time and time again, when we're dealing with those who we may be arresting, who have just committed a crime and you're having a conversation with them and they might be providing some justification for what they just did. But what it really comes down to is, is that they just didn't make a good life decision. They made a, they made a poor choice. And when you equate that to, you know, what you're trying to do if you're trying to become a law enforcement officer is just making those good life decisions. It's key. Yep. Um, a couple other things that we look at, um, you know, DUIs. Um, obviously, the DUI is not an en- end all or a deal breaker for, for any uh, candidates or applicants, uh, but you can't have a DUI uh, refuse implied consent or have a BAC over 10.10% uh, in the last five years. Uh, when, with DUIs, we look at those in totality of how long they were, and with most criminal behavior in the misdemeanor realm or other misconduct, uh, the passage of time since uh, your conduct as well as your conduct since then is huge, and when we're looking at whether or not we think you're going to be a qualified or a, a viable candidate for the department. Uh, so. We all make mistakes, uh, but it's very important with what you do with those mistakes afterwards.
1: One thing in law enforcement is very important is taking responsibility, uh, and it can come to two things. You know, the did someone get a DUI? Did they take responsibility? Did they go in front of the courts? Did they, you know, lack of a better term, did they just uh, plead guilty, take what the judge gave them for a sentence? Did they go to their classes? Did they comply? Or did they fail to appear, not show up, skip out on a warrant that got called in on, failure to show up for bond hearing? Did they not go to their scram class or get the scram bracelet or their Prime for Life class? I mean, two totally different endings to the same charge. Um, Where obviously, if if an officer applies with us with a DUI, we want the officer that took responsibility for their actions. I, for one, can say I've crashed a police car. I had to call my supervisor. I had to take responsibility (laughs) for what I did. I had to you know a little embarrassing and a couple of people in the street got to watch me and jeer and cheer that i was you know cop crashed a cop car but in the end of the day i took responsibility for it and that's what we're looking for is yes we know everyone makes mistakes but one are you making taking responsibility for your mistake um and then are we growing from it do you are you not doing that again
0: right this is a one-time incident those are the type of people we want to hire we don't want to hire the guy that bumps his car into something goes home and spray foams it and tries to make it look right <laughs> yeah okay so so those are the types of decisions that that we're looking at so so back in now we've kind of outlined like what the minimum qualifications are what we're kind of looking for in some of our candidates the process consists of an application uh, after the application is a uh, physical fitness test pass or fail and then we go to a written written test and then to an interview phase and from interview phase, successful candidates go into backgrounds, from backgrounds into a hiring panel and meeting with the commission. So we're going to, we're going to walk through each one of those steps to kind of prepare candidates for that. Um, But let's talk about the application portion. The police department will make an announcement. There's usually a link with the application and there's instructions on this link one of the things that I see for candidates, uh, one of the first phases that we start trimming the field. So let's say we get 100 applicants, I can't interview 100 people. So one of the first phases is, is is the application even just filled out correctly, make sure you absolutely have, and it tells you in that application, you have to have your driver's license copied as an attachment, you have to have education uh, at the high school level attached, and you have to have your birth certificate. Uh, we reject quite a few candidates because they either forget to or they don't have a copy of. Uh, so, if you're intending on applying, make sure that you have those documents that you can attach as, as copies. Then, just filling out the application in full. Um, you know, we see a lot of uh, incomplete applications with missing information. One of the areas that we see a large attrition um, comes with the supplemental questionnaire that's attached to this form. Uh, And what we just got taught in talking about about the integrity, um, the disclosure of stuff as a law enforcement officer, you know, not only are we looking for good candidates, but we're also looking for disqualification criteria throughout this entire process. Uh, That way we can weed out uh, successful candidates from unsuccessful ones. For example, this last uh, hiring process that I did, we had 40 some applicants, and roughly 20 of them were rejected because they, they couldn't follow the instructions on the supplemental questionnaire form. And, and you and I talked about this, Brad. You know, uh, almost 50% of our candidates or potential candidates were rejected for an incomplete application for failure to follow directions. And, and when I look at this, I question myself, I'm like, okay, is this a is this a bad process? Is this a, a bad something? Well, I had fifty percent of them fill it out just fine. And the other question that I ask myself is, is if we change it or remove this process from it, are we lowering the standard? And this is something that's crucial for the disclosure up front that sets the foundation of your integrity and background investigation. So in doing so, we're, we're not choosing to remove it by any means, but that's part of the reason for this podcast is to explain it. And hopefully we will have more successful people meeting that minimum standard. The number one um, thing that I reject candidates for is uh, there's an instruction here on the supplemental questionnaire form that says, if the answer to any of the questions below is yes, list date, place, and full details of each incident on a separate sheet. If you fail to give date, place, and full details, your application will be rejected. So for example, have you ever been arrested or detained? If you mark yes, then on a separate sheet of paper, you need to put on there, you know, supplemental questionnaire, section A, have you ever been detained? Yes, these are the dates, times, and reasons for. Now we don't expect you to remember the exact date and time, but if you remember generally about when, we just need full disclosure of that. Same thing with being convicted of a crime or ever being fingerprinted. Uh, the fingerprint one gets a lot of people because they've been fingerprinted for jobs or other stuff, and they don't think that it's that big of a deal. Uh, if you mark yes, you still need to, on a separate sheet of paper, explain when and why you were fingerprinted. Uh, and then it goes down the list, and it talks about all of the, your potential drug history or drug use uh, we want full disclosure of that up front um, and that's important for us when we start digging into your background because we're going to look for consistency uh, in everything and we're going we're to look for that and that helps sets the foundation of, for your integrity. So, uh, something that is one of our biggest uh but we're not willing to, to decrease the standard for that uh, and we're hoping that this explanation will help people be a little bit more successful in the application process. You got anything to add about the application process, Brad?
1: I think that goes for any application. I can think of plenty of places. That's the number one way they start weeding people out to begin with. You don't fill your application out correctly, you're not going to get a call back.
0: Yep. Some people will attach like extra documents like their resume or letters of recommendations from people. Um... I understand that some places that that might weigh in, but here for the PD, uh, the completed application and only the documents are required. When you add something additional, it doesn't, it doesn't help you in any way, make you look like a better candidate because, uh, you know, our process going back to, are you qualified? and It's based off of performance. Um, and then later on, when we present to the hiring panel, it's a blind hiring panel. The, the panel does not know who they're hiring. They don't know if it's male, female, what gender, race. Uh, They just strictly look at qualifications. So make sure that you have a completed application and that it's done. If you got any questions, you can always call the police department. You can ask for Lieutenant Woolley, and I'll be more than willing to answer any of your questions on that. Um, Moving on to the next portion. So if you are uh, submitted a completed application, uh, you'll likely be uh, invited to uh, come take a written test and a participate in the physical fitness. Now, when I say likely, that means that there may be other things in your application, even if you submit a completed application, if there's identifiable automatic disqualification criteria, we're not gonna let you go any further in the, in, in the process as f- from there as it goes anyway. So it's not a just because you put a completed application and does not mean that you move, move to the next portion of the review. Uh, moving into the next portion. So the next thing you'll do is, is there'll be a scheduled date for a, a physical fitness test um brad you want to kind of talk about the Mpat a little bit and what it's like yeah so the Mpat
1: is a six lap in the in a gymnasium course it's an obstacle course and it is made to simulate a foot chase you've got a little gap to jump almost like a ditch or a jump in a curb you've got a balance beam to run over, kind of simulating you're on the edge of a a curbs. Uh, It's got a a fence, like a three foot fence you have to jump over. Um, It's got stairs go up and down, you gotta do six laps. Um, When you walk in and look at it, it's in a gymnasium for kids. It looks kind of silly and it looks really easy. It's one of those things you can't sleep on though. It's not. If you're a CrossFitter, if you work out at a CrossFit gym, you're gonna do just fine. If you haven't prepared at all, um, it's going to be tough. People go in and they'll, they'll, you know, t- a, an average person doing 30 seconds a lap can do just fine at it. It will hurt. It will be tiring. Um, but people go all out, do a couple laps, and they've gassed themselves. That's all they've got. And I was just talking with one of the supervisors who puts it on. And he said the biggest problem he has with people coming into this is they take it like it's a joke. They run too hard. They didn't train at all. I mean, we're not asking for Olympic athletes, which would be nice, but we are asking people to do a little, you know, go jogging a couple months ahead of time, be able to pass the standards. Because um, I'll tell you, when you get in a foot chase with someone, especially when you don't want to lose some, uh, a significant or a serious crime to the community or an individual, um, it's not something we, we want people to lose. We don't want you to not be able to catch the, the suspect um, and the community on the whole wouldn't, wouldn't want people getting free just because the officer was out of shape and couldn't chase someone down. And so we have an expectation of being fit enough. Um, and so on, after the, the six laps, we have, it's called the push-pull. It's a little device. It's got some weights attached and a rope. And you've either got to push it in all the way or pull it out. I believe it's 75 pounds. Um, you've got to make some 180 degree Uh, circles with it involving some push-ups and some sit-ups as well and then drag a 150 pound dummy like a fireman carry kind of thing uh, simulating carrying somebody maybe someone's injured or unconscious Um, and you have to be able to do all that within six and a half minutes is the max Um, we've obviously have officers that can do that in under three minutes which i think is crazy Um, but yeah, and then also goes into incentive when you become an officer. If you can do it in the four and a half minutes, you get thirty hours of comp time. If you do it in five minutes, you get twenty five hours of comp time. So um there's an incentive to do it, and it's part of getting hired. You have to do it at the academy. I think they do it regularly. Once you go to the academy, you have to do it while there. Physical
0: fitness is important. Um, and it's something we do twice a year as well. So if you just heard the pro tip there, pace yourself make sure you're ready. Not only is that a good strategy for the impact because it's cumulative about lap four or five. You're like, Oh boy, like I did lap, lap one, two, and three are easy. Uh, and then it, then it becomes a little harder, but I think you hit on something really important because it's not just catching the bad guy in a foot chase or in a struggle. You can't be gassed out by the time you catch him And then now you're in a fight and you don't have any energy left. So uh, that is designed just for that. The push pull, you run for six laps. And then now you're in a pushing and pulling contest. Uh, and then you might have to carry somebody if they're, they're injured. So it's, it's pretty realistic and applicable. Uh, for those of you listening, if you want to watch, if you've never seen it before, you can go to YouTube or you can go to the Montana Post website. Uh, just search uh, Montana MPAT, M-P-A-T. It's the Montana Physical Agilities Test. Uh, and there's a YouTube video on it that will walk you through virtually every step to get you, if, if you've never run it before, a pretty good, pretty good program for that. That portion of the MPAT is pass or fail. If you don't meet in the six minutes and 30 seconds, you're automatically uh, removed from the process and you won't go any further. Um, from there, successful an- applicants from the MPAT will go and take a written test. Uh, the test that we use, get your pens out, is the NC squared test from IO Solutions. That's NC J O S I squared, uh, like mathematically squared. Uh, It's a written test. You can go to their website at iosolutions.com and the the company has uh, study material for you. But basically this test uh, measures two dimensions essentially. There's a cognitive ability section uh, where they talk about uh, and test you on deductive reasoning, flexibility, inductive reasoning, uh, information gathering, problem sensitivity, uh, selective attention, uh, spatial orientation, verbal comprehension, verbal expression, and visualization. So all um, comprehensive cognitive skills that you got to have as a, as, a, as a base standard for law enforcement. And then the, the test also has non-cognitive measures uh, that specifically looks for uh, early indicators of antisocial behaviors, whether you have a positive outlook, um, socialization, uh, to, to identify if you have the aptitude and the character to kind of uh, start with that. And that all comes off with a score. Uh, and the test takes about two and a half hours. And so that is the uh, the written test. Now, we haven't mentioned yet the Montana Law Enforcement Consortium. Uh, the police department is not part of the consortium. So our Physical test and our written test are different than if you are applying for an agency through the consortium. So, uh, when you go through our process, you'll have to go through our testing uh, separate from any other any other testing in the in the department for another department. Uh, the best advice that I can give anybody for the written test is is to go online, uh, get the study materials, and and study up for this test. Um, while we do have a minimum passing score of 70% that can change based off of the, the number of applicants or the eligibility pool that we have. Uh, I do, you know, in the last several years that I've done this, Brad, we've had some times where I've tested 65 or 70 people, I can't interview 65 or 70 people uh, for a couple of spots. So we will use the test to um, identify the top candidates. And so if you're in a large group, 70% might not cut it, you might have to score 85% or maybe even 90% on the written test, especially if you end up in a applicant pool of, of some large people, but the minimum is 70. Um, and then and then depending on the pool size, we'll probably pull for percentages based off of that on the, what we can handle for capacity.
1: You know, and I think that comes into play with the score you can get the MPAT, the other parts that we'll talk about pre-plan um you can study ahead of time don't be caught unaware don't show up to the MPAT, not having worked out in several years don't show up to the test not having at least looked over the study material let alone actually studying it um and then going to the other parts too preparation is key and we we do preparation in our job every day all the time um we are constantly having to to update ourselves on law, constantly have to update on current techniques for use of force, especially in today's climate. We're, we are doing really well as a department, but it's on the officer to keep themselves updated. We can only provide you the material. Um, and so, I mean, that's just, that's just another key to this is we're looking for officers who were prepared, who read ahead, who studied into the department and things like that, and we'll bring it up again because it, it, it is in every step of the process.
0: So one of the things for any job, specifically the BPD that you're, in preparation that you should be doing. You should do your homework on any organization. You should know what their mission is, what their values are. You should know what type of policing they engage in. Uh, You should know how they fit within the community. Uh, All that can be found on our website or through your own research. Uh, You know, read the annual report and see what types of crimes and and the things uh, that they're dealing with. Read what their strategy is. You know, and this goes, you know, like, even if, like you said, you were talking to, you know, if you're 13, 14, 15, 16, and you're looking to, you know, want to be a police officer, this advice goes to, if you're trying to get a job at McDonald's or Albertsons, like, if you want to go in there and be competitive and uh, really impress those and show your, your character, do homework on the organization, and when you're in your interview... You're a little bit more educated. You're a little bit more knowing about what uh, the organization stands for and how it fits in the community, and how you fit within all of that picture. So let's talk about some of the the next the next phase is uh, the interview process, um, and roughly, we lose roughly 50% of our candidates through every single phase of the process. And the interview process actually is probably a little bit higher. Sometimes we're at 60 to 70% or more attrition on the interview process. It is a challenging one. It is different than what most people are probably used to um, for a job interview. But a lot of this comes back to what Brad was talking about was the preparation that you put into it ahead of time uh, you'd normally see the results on the back half. So uh, looking into the organization, seeing what they're in and about, um, even being realistic about the pros and cons of the job. Could you hit on some of those, Rad? Yeah, you know, we have, I,
1: I, as union president, as an officer for 10 years, I want new officers coming in with a realistic expectation of what this job is. Whether there's an interview question or not, I, and I'm a panel member on a lot of new hire interviews as well, I want someone to come in with a realistic expectation um, and I want them to make it known that they know it as well. Um, there's no hard feelings if you come in saying or knowing that this dark job can be dangerous. It can weigh on you mentally. Um, They've developed, it's not new now, but cumulative PTSD, all of the exposures to traumatic incidents over a 20 or 30 year career adds up to very commonly, PTSD in officers, firefighters, paramedics, nurses. Um, and it, it's a field of study that's not quite new, but it's still developing. And you know, you're know, you gonna miss holidays. There, there are cons to the job. You could be injured. Um, we had an officer who had to medically retire early because he was hit by a car um and the damage to his leg was irreparable to bring him back to where he was before that and he was a very fit and competent officer before um there are there are inherent dangers to law enforcement on top of um community perception um so you need to weigh all of those and know that going in there are definitely pros um people in billings really like law enforcement, they really like the police department. They really get along with the sheriff's department. We have a very good reputation here. And I can walk around and be offered every meal I try to buy to be bought for me. I will argue with them and buy my own meal, but people wanna buy our meals. They wanna buy us a cup of coffee. People will see us on the side of the road and flag us down just to say hi. And I know a lot of other communities may not have that, but I mean, there's a a positive is we have a very good outlook in the community. Um, We have very good training, the pros for that are you can be a very competent officer at a high level um, by being here, and so we have, you know, our pay is very good. We have a good contract. We have a very positive police department. And so we have we have all these pros, we have these cons. But please go in knowing what they are. Don't don't have any um, misconceptions about what the job is. It is dangerous. It is rewarding. It, it is an honorable profession, um, and people just need to know that going in.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice that should set your foundation, um, and give you the best outlook for it. Cause when we start talking about your interview and some interview strategies that'll help make you successful, not only with us, but with anybody else, that's where it starts. And, and I'd like to tell people like, you have to know where you're at before you know where you're going or know how to get there. And so you really need to do a real serious, um, uh, Mental evaluation and checklist on on where you're at and what you're getting yourself into before you before you come into this process.
1: One of the things I always think about is: Have you prepped your family for the sacrifices you have to make to be an officer? That may not be anything to do with the interview, but it's a very key point. Is does your family understand what you're getting into? They understand you won't be around for Christmas. Do they know that you're going to be working nights? and you're probably gonna be crabby on your first night off because you didn't get any sleep or you have to go in for training. Is everyone ready for the sacrifice you have to make? Which is your time? Um, so that's a big thing to go into as well. Um, and then transitioning to part of the interview is the first part of the interview that everybody always misses is the, the oral resume. Yep. I don't know if many other places do it. I've heard a couple do and I've heard other places don't. When I was in South Dakota, we did not do this. Um, we are expecting you to come in and give us 10 minutes, no more, and we don't want it to be much less, 10 minutes of your resume given to us, like spoken to us. We don't want to read it. We want you to tell us why you're applicable for the police department. Um, give a couple minutes on education, Your if you did anything of note in high school, sports, captain of the team, did you go to college? What did you go to college for? you know gpa did you graduate Did you not graduate please tell us why um, we're not looking for excuses but valid reasons are always appreciated um, and then we we'll look for job history what led you to us today and and work to make lit make it applicable um, myself i was a lifeguard that may not feel like it applies but we have first aid training um, while lifeguards don't have much authority at the pool you are the boss, you're you're in charge of making sure everyone's playing in a safe manner. And so, 16 year old me wouldn't have thought about it, but now I can I can say it in a way that would make it applicable to law enforcement. Um, we, were a store manager, you talk about those for a few minutes. Um, military experience, military experience is a big one because I would say half our department has military experience, um, which is great. We welcome it, and we we would like as many people from the military to apply for us because we we end up getting good candidates out of the military. Um, But guys need to know, we don't know your acronyms. Um, And so when you come into an oral resume and you're telling us about military experience, uh, talking for five minutes, using acronyms for trainings that myself, not having been in the military, doesn't understand, it's very hard to keep up. When instead, I think it would get a good message across to talk about, what those you know give the word for them or just talk about what it is Just give us a description of how it applies what it is were you an mp did you uh, you know um deployments we don't need super in-depth descriptions of them but there are plenty of things that people do in their lives in the military or in employment that is applicable to what we're doing here today in law enforcement it's just
0: finding the right words and the right way to relay that to us what i'd like to to tell people is, is I call those transferable skills. And if you come into the interview for the oral portion and you just going to recite that, you know, you went to high school and you worked here and then you worked there and you went to college and then you worked here and you worked there. And that is as a resume, you're probably not going to perform very well. We want to hear. We want to hear about you and what you bring to the table. And so you got to focus on those transferable skills. And I know it's hard uh, for people to kind of conceptualize that, but here's what that might look like, Um, is for surely in your oral resume, you should have why you want to be a cop and why you want to do that for the Billings Police Department, for sure. Uh, One of the pieces of advice to give context and highlight some of a candidate's transferable skills is there are a lot of characteristics and qualities and things that we're looking for. We're not looking to hire a bunch of robots that are the exact same people. So your answers are going to be different for everybody. Um, But you got to highlight some of those transferable skills. And let me give a good example. If you worked at um, McDonald's, do do you communicate with people? Do you communicate with people from all walks of life, uh, from all education ranges, from all socioeconomic statuses? Do you deal with angry people sometimes? Uh, do you have to de-escalate or problem solve those? Those are things we're, we're talking about. Um, as a law enforcement officer, you're going to have to communicate. You got to problem solve. You have to de-escalate. You have to have the ability to make a decision. You have to be able to prioritize uh, things, prioritize your time. We're also looking to hire people who eventually at some point, if you're a successful candidate, you're going to be in a police car by yourself, driving around the city with quite a bit of autonomy. And we want to know that whoever we're putting out there has their own initiative to, to, to do work and do what needs to be done and, and make those decisions without having somebody trying to micromanage them. We're part of a team. We work together as a team. So. Now you can start to identify things when you play sports, or you work at any other job, you need to focus on the things that those jobs taught you, and how they relate to what you're going to do now and use your time to talk about those. Because if you just say that you worked at Albertsons, you're, you're not telling me anything. But if you tell me that when you worked at Albertsons, that you know, you had to communicate with people, you had to problem solve, you worked as a part of a team. And the lessons that you learned and what you're going to bring to the table, you're, you're going to score, you're going to go score much higher on your, on your interview, interview panel. The other advice that I would like to give people is that when you start looking at trying to focus on characteristics or what it is about you, that would make you uh, a quality candidate or an addition to the, the police department as, as a valued addition. Uh, I just want people to, because it's different for everybody, but when you see a cop car drive by, you need to stop for a second and you need to articulate all the things about what that cop car and that officer in that uniform represents and what they represent to you. Uh, Everybody's got a little bit of a different answer. Everything kind of bleeds over into the others, but that's kind of your foundation of how you can kind of emphasize and sell yourself in that program. So that's the advice for for the... uh, The oral resume, which is the second part of the interview process. The first part is a written exercise. Uh, I'm not going to go much more into that because we've given some other advice that would help you with it without giving away what exactly we do. But there will be a written exercise when you get there. And we're looking for how well you're able to quickly formulate answers, plans, articulate, handwriting, spelling, um, because writing reports and articulating things to a judge, jury, attorneys, or anybody else is a huge part of what we do. Um, and then, then we, you're taken into a panel where you give your oral resume and you ask a series of questions. That panel that uh, evaluates you, uh, essentially, there's five panel members that you'll end up interviewing in front of. Uh, they will. Each of them have 50 points to give you, so there's 250 points total in this entire interview process and you're scored in 10 categories and those 10 categories are uh, you get one through five points on every one of those categories. So one being worst or unacceptable and five being the best and three is only just average or acceptable. And you're graded on your written exercise, you're graded on your oral resume. You're graded on seven answer, uh, question and answer portions. And then you're also graded on your appearance, uh, and your dress Brad, when you're sitting on a panel talk about before we start talking about like questions and answering strategies, how do you evaluate a candidate when you're looking at dress and appearance? What are the things that are important to you?
1: So we call it presentation in the, the scoring matrix and there's about four or five things that it covers your appearance. So, do your research. At the Billings Police Department, We men are not allowed to have beards. So coming in with a two-inch beard that you can have in the oil field does not translate to having done your research for us. Um, you know, the, and there's always religious exemptions, but, and, and medical ones as well, but um, someone comes in with a button-up shirt that doesn't fit and a pair of khaki pants with a belt that mismatches their shoes, I'm not a fashionista or an expert on that stuff, but if it, doesn't look right i mean that's he didn't try very hard we're a professional organization um you may need to be appearing in court in a suit and tie we want to know that you have the ability to do that um so i my recommendation would be to show up in a suit and tie go to uh, jc Penney's, herberter's dillard's for men's i mean we have plenty of stores in town that you can get a cheap suit tie shoe belt combo and and then for women it's professional attire, a suit goes a long way for anybody. Um, and I believe dresses, skirts, any, any professional business attire is acceptable. It doesn't have to be
0: pantsuit. Yeah, um, not, not formal. We're not looking for a black tie affair, but yep. we are looking for business, not business casual. Business professional attire. Yes.
1: Um, it goes a long way, a good haircut. Um, we have in our policy grooming standards, just like the military and the army. Um, We're expecting when you come to the job that you will match those. If not, I mean, there are disciplinary actions for that kind of thing for not following along. Um, The other part of presentation is how you speak and how you sit. Uh, Everyone comes into an interview nervous and we understand that. Pacing is not a good idea. Using a lot of filler words, which I am not great at either, but the ums, likes, awkward laughs at the end of every single sentence, really practice interviewing even if you don't know the questions you can practice with people um and cuss words obscenities those those get people every time um yes cussing exists in our world let's not bring it into the interview um i don't even want to hear the the ones that are somewhat acceptable let's just keep it totally out out of the interview um it'll definitely get your points marked off because it it doesn't come across as professional
0: the 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 panel is going to be looking at you to see if they can imagine you as an officer and how you deal with stress or pressure. And I get the interview as a stress and it's pressure. But so are some of the very, very dangerous situations that we have. So how are you handling that? Yes, you're going to be nervous. Yes, it's visible. But how are you performing under that stress? That's a that's a matrix of that. Um, And then you really need to go in the, with the mindset of, of portraying how you would handle that and handle, um, keeping good communications and the attention of the panel, because as a police officer, you're going to be tasked with going into, uh, volatile, emotional, unstable situations that you're going to have to de-escalate, gain the attention and compliance with your own verbal words. And so that's another portion of the presentation is is how well are you at grabbing the attention of and, and getting people to go along with what you're, what you're saying and trying to portray what, what's happening. And, and that's a good kind of a gauge for them to determine, you know, on, on the streets and are you really going to be able to perform up to that task? Moving on to the, uh, the interview questions. Uh, before I get some of your advice, one of the things I want to bring up is is when we get into the interview portion, while you should not ramble, you do need to articulate clearly and get your points across because our interview process is zero feedback, which means that the the interview is scripted. Uh, and if you don't understand this question or where they're wanting to go with it, there's no questions for you to be like, well, what do you mean by that? The the panel will just simply re-read you the question. Uh, so you have to be able to be articulate and, and we see that being one of the biggest problems that we see with unsuccessful candidates is they, they have a hard time articulating their answers. Um, they give very short, short answers to the point when we're looking for more, specifically uh, to you military members who are putting in. I know that if you've been in the military for any length of time and tried to get promoted, the military promotional boards are very brief, very, you stand at attention, And you're rigid and you answer the question and you move on to the next. Um, You know, we see a lot of successful military um, or a lot of candidates from the military who aren't successful because they come in, they stand at attention, uh, a question is asked to them, they answer it and they move on to the next question. Um, Our interview process is designed to break out your thought process. We want to know what it looks like for you to problem solve and decision make and understand all of, all of that stuff, because, you know, if hired at some point, you're going to be given some of the old, most, you know, highest responsibilities that you can have with a law enforcement officer all the way up into including lethal force. Most of your daily stuff, though, will be engaged in essentially the restriction of people's civil rights by arresting them and putting them into the criminal justice system for proper due process. And you have to be able to articulate and explain the circumstances as they are for fairness and the ability for others who aren't there where you were, you're seeing it, feeling it, smelling it, touching it, but you got to be able to, you got to be able to portray to others that that's what that is. So my advice is, is, is to, to look, um, at the articulation point, don't ramble, uh, but make your points and move on, but what types of advice would you have for the question and answer portion? for for candidates
1: so we're going to give you a sheet that'll be in front of you that'll have all the questions read along and then reread it and then give us an answer obviously i it's a little awkward watching somebody sit there for a minute after a question has been asked and they haven't given us an answer and they're rereading and rereading and rereading and they haven't understood it and they give us an answer that's not on point because they didn't comprehend um which isn't often but it has happened. Hear it, read along, read the question again, and then answer all parts. Um, it, that nothing's a trick question, but some questions have more than one part. And a lot of people do miss multi-part questions. Um, a lot of people also give us, if we say give us an example of, we're looking for an actual example. We're not looking for conjecture. We're not looking for, if I were in that situation, I would. We're looking for actual situations in your life, in in your job experience, in your, your usually professional life um as to answering the question we're not looking and it we're not looking for well knowing myself i would do this or i would do that that that's not an acceptable answer so answer all parts read everything thoroughly make sure you're answering the correct question you're being given um and then giving us complete thoughts
0: you know, when, when I look at a candidate who takes time to read the question and then maybe even a few more seconds to formulate it, his answer or her answer, the, that I sit back and I see maturity with that. I see somebody who's thinking about something, problem solving it. Now, obviously we hit a realm where somebody just completely seizes up and stalls and drew a blank. We've seen that before, but don't feel so rushed to just go right into talking and answering. Um. Uh, because we're looking for people to process information in real time. Um, There's very few things in our job, very, very few things where, you know, when we do have to make split second decisions, there's usually a a lot of risk and a lot of danger there. But 98% of what we do on a daily basis, you have time, you have the ability to problem solve, you have the ability to communicate. Uh, So let's, let's see some of that, uh, you know, in, in the process. Only thing I would add to your to your interview questions is back to what you said about preparation. I'm gonna like give a little bit of a secret here but I'm not gonna give the answers and it applies to every single job that you're probably ever gonna apply for. You can only ask about teamwork, problem solving, people skills, communications, um, integrity issues. You can only, Ask, you can you can ask those questions an infinite number of ways, right? But every job is going to have what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, uh, how much do you know about this job, um, how do you work well under pressure, problem solving, decision making, right? There's only there's only a handful of areas where you really can focus down on a candidate, right? But there's a a, a numerate number of questions that we can ask. So that's my advice is when you are reading the question, you have to answer it, provide an example, be prepared for all of those types of questions. There's plenty of research you can do online police one, that kind of stuff to figure out kind of what's going on. But to our most successful candidates are those who can look at the question and see what the meaning behind that is. That's a teamwork question. Nope. That's a problem solving question. Um, and then you can build that into your answer and tie it in. If you're really good, you would probably be familiar with some of our policies, procedures, or the department, and you could tie that into your answer with whatever you have going on as well. So uh, as you can tell, the interview process has a lot more going on to it uh, than anything else. I think the other thing that we see when when candidates have a hard time articulating themselves is, one, there's a fear of them coming across cocky or arrogant, which holds them back from truly answering a question. Uh, You and I were talking about this just before the podcast. uh, And that, um, you know, while you don't want to come in and act like you're bragging about yourself, you do need to come into the interview and leave it all on the table because you're competing with other people who want the same job that you do. Uh, And the best advice for that that I have for anybody is, is, you know, stay away from the I, 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 I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that and focus on what those experiences taught you or what you learned from something or a characteristic that's important to you versus saying, I do this, I did that, I did this, I did this. Well, for example, you could come in and say, well, I was uh, the captain on the football team and I've done this and I've done that. Or you could simply explain that as the captain of the football team, you know, I was tasked with leadership, this and this, uh, I had to earn the respect of my team. I had to do this. I had to make decisions. That's the differentiation between coming in and saying, I, 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 and telling the panel what you're qualified and you're capable of. What other advice for the interview process? Cause I, that's one of the big areas where we lose another, another big group of candidates. What, what can you think of Brad?
1: The biggest is answering the whole question. More people miss out on that. If you, we have a two or three part question and you only answer one part, the best I can give you is two out of five points. Maybe three out of five if it really hit hit on point, but answering the whole question. Most questions have multiple parts, not all of them. None of them are trick questions. We're not looking for the hidden meanings. Um, you know, if you're gonna sit, sit up straight. If you're gonna stand, don't pace. Um, I have a bad problem with shaking my legs and fidgeting with my fingers and picking at my nails and just use 30 minutes. You just can't do it. Just be, be, try to be as calm as you would need. Take a big, deep breath. If you're nervous, I mean, it's not unusual for an officer to be nervous on a scene or to maybe be scared, but it's how you act under that pressure is what we're looking for. So
0: with today's technology, there's no reason why you can't sit in front of your computer and your webcam, turn on your computer's camera function, and rehearse your oral resume and practice some of your body and, and sit back and watch those videos and you'll be able to catch the ah's, the um's, uh, are you looking in different directions? Are you engaging? What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your feet? Because the panel will see you. you're you're sitting at a table, uh, but they will be able to see your legs, your feet, you're in the chair, uh, your hands underneath. So be aware, be aware of all of that. And those are all tips to try to get the best score that you can.
1: And I guess one point, don't name drop. We <laughs> understand in this community, you may know officers. You may have a parent who's an officer or former officer. You may have aunts, uncles, um, grew up with officers. It doesn't help. And I can't say it hurts either, but um, we get a lot of guys or girls that'll come in that'll want to talk about the time with officers such and such the time went, well, that's not really your story at that point. Let's hear about you. You know, it, it doesn't hurt that you know officers and maybe they even helped prep you for the interview. Um, but it, it, I wouldn't say it's too beneficial and probably distracts from your accomplishments and your qualifications for
0: the interview. Yep. Uh, do your preparation, your work work. How, how bad do you want it? How bad do you wanna be there? You're, you're competing with everybody. And as with everything else, you can always um, you know, call and ask questions. Like I say, we're not gonna give you the answers. Um, and always ask to do a ride along. Now yes. that we're getting out of
1: extreme COVID lockdowns, hopefully soon we'll be able to start allowing people to do ride-alongs again. I remember before I got hired at both jobs, I did ride-alongs, and it's a great way to learn about the culture of the department, the how the guys, actually, girls, or ladies actually feel about the department they work for. You know, we hire a lot of post-certified so officers who are officers in other places. Um, I don't know how other places do that, but I I think we might be kind of the, the an island that we have a nice department, and we end up hiring people who know they want to be here, and they've been places that were worse off than we are, and they're they're coming to a department where they want to finish their career at. So, um, yeah, ride alongs are a great experience, and if we can start getting those again once it's safe, um, it's a good it's a good option as well for looking into the department.
0: Absolutely. Uh, our Citizens Police Academy, will be starting that back up, uh, as well as listening to these podcasts, learning a little bit more about the department and issues that we're dealing with. So I'm going to talk briefly before we close out um, about the process that happens after your interviews if you're successful, because... The selection process doesn't just stop at the interviews. We go, um, successful candidates get a conditional offer of employment afterwards when they go to the background phase and con- it's conditional upon successful completion of background, meeting with police commissioners, uh, hiring panel, and we're going to briefly discuss how those work. So you're kind of, you're primed for, for the next steps but our background investigators spend roughly three months or so on your background and they're going to, they're going to meet with your family, your spouses, all your coworkers, depends on how old you are expect them to go back roughly 10, 15 years. Uh, and they will look into your history, your credit, your finances. Um, and it's a pretty, um, they, they really get into your personal life. And if you're a private person, that might, that might be bothersome to you, but we really have to identify some of uh, that, that who we're getting is, is a qualified candidate. Um, you're mandated by state law to have a, a meeting with a psychologist and, and for to meet with them who's paid for by us. Uh, and it's it's non-confidential it's to us. Um, the The thing to explain about the backgrounds, you'll sign a waiver of authorization for us to collect information on you, and we uh, will not share. Uh, specific information with you in your background. So your background information that you that we do on you is even confidential to you. Now, while if you're rejected because of something in your background, I usually will tell you in generalized enough terms of why you were rejected, uh, simply because I want people to be able to uh, have an opportunity to fix or, you know, personally work on things themselves to, to make them better in their lives, especially if they end up being unsuccessful in a background from us. Uh, but no, you will not get who said what about you and where that information came from. Um, but what I think is important to note about your background is is that transparency and that credibility starts when you submit that first application. And it starts even before, like you said, when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, your, your character and your integrity all starts there. And, and I'm not saying that you don't have skeletons in the closet because everybody does and we're going we're gonna to find them. Uh, but what we're looking for is we're looking for patterns of unfitness. Uh, there's times where we'll interview people who will have something bad to say about you. And sometimes it's because they just don't like you. Uh, sometimes there's some truth to it. But what we normally see is, is not just one person says something negative about you or gives information. By the time we're done with your background between the psychologist uh, and she is really good. She writes reports that if she would have done your background already and all she did was an eval and it matches with the background almost parallel wise it's it's amazing what she does but what we look at is we look at the totality of everything Um, good examples of those are you know you were disciplined on your three previous jobs it's not that you were disciplined at one job it was that you're disciplined at three previous jobs and were they for all for the same thing were you tardy? Were you late for work? Did you show up on time? Did you miss stuff? Were you a good employee? Um, did you abuse sick time? Did all of those things that we start looking into in all categories to include prior drug drug use, drug history. Uh, so my advice when you meet with our background investigators is, is you just have to disclose everything fully to the best of your knowledge and uh, let, let the cards fall where they may um, because we don't just automatically Kick somebody out of the background process because of one thing, um, you know. We we usually see uh, all of the people that I've seen rejected in that phase was a pattern or a totality of things, not just any one circumstance. Because a lot of times, what you see is the whole uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. Sometimes, you know, where any one instant by itself was was completely overcomeable, uh, but when we put the the series of everything together, then then it's not. So, that's kind of the background process and what to expect there. From the background process, what we do is the background investigators provide a full detailed summary, uh, I review those, and then I provide a hiring panel summary, um, and in that summary all identifying information is removed from it. So, when I, when I present to the, the chief, the assistant chief, and the head of human resources, which is the our hiring panel. I will present to them that this candidate had a suitable psycho psychological assessment. They're a high school graduate. They've, you know, got a GED, they've got college, they've got military experience. Uh, Their performance on their test score was this, their performance in the interview was this. Here's their driving criminal drug history. Here's their work history. Are they rehirable? Was there discipline? What are the character traits, good and bad of this person? And if there's any notable uh, events or further conversation that we have to have. Then we go into your background and we talk more about that. So the panel is basically just going off of qualifications and performance at that point. Once the panel has selected and ranked, uh, they may sometimes reject candidates uh, at that point based off of the background. They'll select and rank based off of an order there. And then that order is offered positions based off of what the department has for a need. Uh, and so even the hiring panel doesn't know who they're getting until once they, they've already been ranked and selected and then then they then they get to know who who was hired for the department based off of based off of that uh, once you know you've gone to the hiring panel depending on what the hiring needs are you may or may not get a final offer of employment which is still conditional upon meeting with the police commissioners uh, which is required by state law for them to review and interview you um, and that's a that's a, a process by state law, um, and those police commissioners do get to review your background. So when you are interviewing with them, if they ask you something personal, you, that's that's usually how they figured it out. Um, and the the panel is made up of three citizens. Um, they are they're very interested and hold the department in regard and who they hire to make sure that we have good candidates quality officers who are going to be in their community um, policing and then after that successful completion of a drug test and uh, physical um, assessment by a physician just to make sure that you can meet the the minimum performance requirements being able to sit in a car wear, wear a vest that kind of stuff it's all uh, human resources and then after that uh, the final employment you'll start with the, the, the police department uh, you, your first week is firearms training you get sworn in and then you get shipped off to the academy for 12 weeks Uh, And then after the academy, then you come back to us for three more weeks of admin training. Uh, It should, you know, you should be in the mindset that the academy is just the the bare minimums and the base knowledge foundation. And that's our starting point with you. So there's another three weeks of administration time that we do things like defensive tactics. We do a full day of CIT training with you. Uh, We do a lot of other uh, scenario based training to prep you for the streets. And then, then you enter into a 16 week field training phase. Um, where you'll ride with three different officers over the course of four different phases um, when it's on the job training, uh, working different shifts with different officers. And then when you successfully complete that, then you'll have another few more months before you hit your 12 month probationary period. So that is the, the long version of, uh, you know, some benefits of the job uh, and some advice on how to be successful in this process. Brad, what do you got for any other advice for candidates that we can give them to help make them successful?
1: You know, we've touched on everything, but to reiterate, be open and honest with your background stuff. Um, even if it was an embarrassing speeding ticket, I mean, it seems minor, but we, we want everything. Um, do a little research into the department, maybe more than a little bit. You can look into the test we're doing. It, it all involves prep work, which goes to show maturity, um, among other things, everything we do has is scrutinized and we, we need to make sure we're doing everything right. And start off on the right foot by doing all the things we're talking about here today. I think you'll have a pretty good shot as long as everything lines up. I can't say that if someone follows this to the T, they'll get a spot because there's always external factors, background, um, things like that. But uh, if you make it, one piece of advice. The Academy is in Helena, Montana. It's not in Billings. So you will be gone for those 12 weeks. Um, you know, that usually the weekends are free. People come home, but be prepared to be gone, set things up in, in, advance for that. Um, and that's one of those sacrifices that family needs to be aware of when you're going in. If, if that's something that's important. So.
0: And set yourself up for success, especially if you're younger. We, while state law, the minimum age is 18, uh, to my knowledge, we've never hired anybody younger than 20. And we've only hired, I think, two or three officers since I've been here that were under the age of 21 uh, when they got hired and they turned 21 shortly afterwards, uh, only a handful of those. So if you're, you're in high school or you're in college and you're trying to look and see how you can make yourself competitive. Uh, We do give preferential points for degrees, military experience, and that all comes into play uh, at the hiring panel. Um, But, you know, you touched on it earlier, the maturity a little bit. You know, this job requires a lot of autonomy and decision making. um, And uh, the officers who have some of the most life experience end up doing better in those positions. So if you are younger, uh, try to stack those odds in your favor. Try to get uh, as a reserve officer somewhere on the Laurel PD has a reserve program. The sheriff's office has a reserve program. Um, get your college education. That'll give you some college experiences, uh, some diversity there as far as what you, you know, some adult decision-making that you might have to. Um, because you're going not only making adult life decisions as a, new, as a new adult, you know, 18, 19, 20, just fresh out of uh, your parents' house, but you're gonna be making life decisions for other people and in stressful situations and that's tough sometimes. Um, Whatever jobs that you do prior to here, maybe try to align those with some of the skills that would help you with becoming a police officer. Some of our best cops uh, are detention officers who've worked at the jail before. They're excellent at communicating with people. Uh, it's because they, on a daily basis for 10, 12 hours a day, are in the, the jail with the inmates. And they have to learn how to talk to them because if you're, you're badge heavy, you're cocky, you're arrogant, whatever, um, the jail population will line you out. Uh, it has a way of working itself out. And so, but you also, tr- you know, learn how to treat people like humans and communicate with them on their level because that's the best way to communicate is you can communicate with whoever, whatever level that the other person is on. Uh, probation and parole, uh, that's another good place. Uh, and anything else that would kind of help prep you for for this position. So, what else Brad? We've been droning on for almost an hour and 45 minutes now. So- You know,
1: we've talked about a lot of things. I think, I think we've covered most things I can think of as of right now.
0: Okay. All right, well, we're gonna close it out so we don't drone on and ramble. Uh, contrary to the advice that we just gave you. So uh, thanks for listening and um, next time. Thanks.